Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 260 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames, Corey Hey House. everybody. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fashionably late as usual. <laughs> Hi everybody. You gotta find that mute button, right? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and uh, this week we have a special guest, and that's Gordon Zhu. Hey everyone. And I'm sure I said it wrong, because he says he can't even say it right sometimes, so... You want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Gordon Zhu, uh, and uh, I'm the founder at a company called Watch and Code. And uh, at Watch and Code, uh, my goal is to turn total beginners into amazing developers, and I do that through uh, video tutorials. Um, and so you might know me, uh, probably most likely, if you've heard of me as the creator of a popular course called Practical JavaScript. Right. And. Uh... You were recommended to me by Jerome Hardaway from Vetsu Code. Right. Yeah. So a couple of the of the students that are going through the Vetsu Code program uh, were using Watching Code to get introduced to JavaScript. Um, and so that's how I, how I met Jerome. Cool. Well, um, let's go ahead and dive into this. I'm really curious. Uh, first off, um, I was under the mistaken impression that this wasn't for new people, but uh, practical JavaScript really is. Um, why why call it practical JavaScript? Why is it different from some of the other things that people out there have done to learn JavaScript? Are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development? Have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreaks. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. Why is it different from some of the other things that people out there have done to learn JavaScript? Yeah, so it was actually kind of, well, I think one of the problems that I was seeing is that a lot of people value things that I don't find as useful. So a lot of people like want code that's eloquent or concise and terse and, you know, best practice and everything and performance and all these things. And while those things are really good for beginners, they're not the most important thing. But the problem I saw with a lot of different resources is that they would teach topics uh, and they would do a really good job with teaching all the main topics of JavaScript, which is really hard to do, but they wouldn't do a great job of showing students how those topics can be used in real programming. And so that's the kind of thing that I was trying to hit at with practical. And that is the kind of, I guess, one theme that goes throughout the entire course and you can feel it all the way through. It's that when you learn something, it's not taught in isolation. It's taught exactly when you need to use it. Um, and so, you know, the things that I kind of had in my mind are knowledge by itself is not super meaningful, especially since when you're a beginner and you're learning all these new topics, you tend to forget them like right away. And so unless you can get a sense for why they're used and, and even like what frequency they're used in real life, you can't get a sense for how much of your time and effort you should spend for learning each thing. So for example, a lot of uh, books in particular tend to take an academic encyclopedia approach where they try to run through an index of topics and they seem to give every topic the same level of importance. Whereas in reality, 
some of the things are almost never used, if at all, and maybe you've never even seen them. And then other topics are used all the time. And so a book like that or a resource like that doesn't give you that sense of the weighted importance of different topics. But if you see it in practice, in a practical way, then you get that sense too. So I feel like it's not really, it's not that I teach specific things better uh, or worse. It's really just about feeling, answering that question very directly. Why do I need to know this? And, and having that and not having that question as you go through the course. Whereas I think, you know, when I was going through school and college, I always had that question and it was never answered. Um, so maybe it was as much like something that I really cared about since it was a big reason that I lost motivation in school. And uh, I didn't want my students to have that same experience. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, so that's good stuff. Uh- I have some things that pop into my head that I feel like are at the periphery of what a JavaScript developer needs to know in the real world. Are are there some things that come to mind for you that you feel like, you know, in that book would get a lot of attention, but in the real world don't get used that often? Wait, so you're, wait, so can you rephrase the question? You're saying things that are in a book that get used a lot, but don't get attention in the real world. Uh, well, I was actually talking about the opposite. So, for instance, I was thinking about the, a book on JavaScript today would talk a lot about prototypal inheritance, for instance. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I don't use prototypal inheritance much directly. <laughs> right. um, I feel like that that's a topic that certain JavaScript developers will use often. But in day-to-day CRUD apps that I'm often building, although it's rather unglamorous, I enjoy it because I'm weird, I don't use prototypal inheritance much, but there could be a large conversation about the merits of it and the complexities of it. So I'm assuming that's one of those topics that you probably steer away from in a practical JavaScript course. Exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely right. Um, There are a lot of topics that get a lot of blog posts, for example, but when you find that you're building an app, you find that you don't use it that much. Like, so for example, another good one is when you're first learning, you don't really need to use constructor functions. Um, If you're trying to construct functions, you can just use object literal notation uh, and just kind of use that as a simple thing that you can turn to. And then when you find that you really need it or you or better yet, you find an example of someone else's code when you're trying to contribute to open source or something, then you can see how it's used and maybe why it's used or maybe why it shouldn't be used. Um, so yeah, exactly what you're saying. And that definitely happens in, in the course. Like prototypal inheritance is, is discussed pretty late in my material and definitely not in the beginner practical JavaScript course. So what is your approach then for getting people started? Do you have them fire up the browser and just use the the console? I've often thought that that's a really approachable, kind of interesting, rapid feedback way to, to start somebody from the absolute beginning. But I'm curious what your take is on the, the best approach to start somebody off. It's really interesting that you say that. That's exactly what I do. So, um, so you build a to-do list, and so the natural instinct would be that you start in the DOM and then you immediately start teaching DOM methods. But what I actually do is I have students build the to-do list in the console, just in Chrome. And so you start off by, you, you actually start off with requirements that are phrased like Jasmine tests, even though you don't know it at that moment in time. And so like the first requirement is something like, 
it should have a way to store to do's. So that's when you learn about an array. And then you'll have something like it should have a way to display to do's. And that's where you learn about console log and you log the array. And then you get a little bit more sophisticated where you can log each to do. So you're not just logging the entire array. And you build incrementally the same way you would think about, you know, if you're writing tests for the app, even though testing is too complicated to introduce at the start, but I get students kind of primed for that level of thinking and that super small incremental way of building things right at the beginning from the bare minimum right at the console. So I guess when with each new part of the app that you build, it's not, I, I'm not thinking about my perspective, like if I were a product manager or, you know, dev on the team uh, in terms of like, what do users need next? It's more, it's a combination of that along with what can we make next with the little that we know. And then with each new thing that you learn, you can then build a new feature. Um, so it does start exactly kind of like you envisioned. <laughs> Good stuff. That makes sense. I was thinking about early on the things that tripped me up more than anything. I'm curious, at what point do you have a conversation about the odd behavior of the this keyword and uh, understanding uh, binding? Right. So that happens, that doesn't happen in the beginning course. Uh, this is kind of talked about in the context of like when you call a method on an object, then this will point to the object. And so when, when in the specific cases where we use this, I talk about them, but I don't talk about it exhaustively. So it's like, it's like super uncomfortable to teach like that, I think. But I, I really do try to hold true to the principle, teach people exactly what they need to know at that moment in time. And then as you get into the more advanced content, pretty pretty soon you see all the different variations of this in every single situation, and you can then identify in, in various cases. But in that, I, I find it pretty overwhelming because I've tried the other approach where you teach every where you teach students all the different cases and you give them all these examples and they're they're all subtly different and your app doesn't have all of those situations so you tend to have like kind of abstract examples and students have really hard time grasping that and so i i really do try to just focus on you know in this given example what is this the the this keyword and then just kind of leave it at that and then just say this is one instance of how you can identify this. We'll look at the other cases in the future. So I think that's kind of interesting, but I wonder what your opinion is. You know, you're talking about very specific things like, hey, they're not using, or they're using this, uh, or worrying about what this is, right? Either prematurely or uh, talking about it when they really don't need it. And I identify with that a lot as I learned to program, but uh, when I learned to program, I was learning Pascal and the main output that people used at the, at the time was either a, a, well, basically was a console, right? And so the input and output, that part of it was so simple and easy to learn. You just write things out and you know how to take it. You know, it takes like an hour to learn how to print things and how to take stuff in. So that was simple. And now I started just working on logic, which once you have basic tools, that was easy. But nowadays, it feels like there's so much to any kind of an application. Uh, user interfaces are hard with web applications. You got to know HTML and CSS and all these little nuances about them. And I think that it's much easier for people nowadays to look at something and say, I know I want to do this, and there's just no possible way for me. Like, 
I don't know how I could possibly get this done, right? Where when I started, because everything's a console, <laughs> all I had to do was be able to read and write from the output. And then it was just logic, like, um, you know, store some data and, and print it out in a different way. Now things are just so much different. Do you have a, an opinion and a thought about that aspect of just, and this relates to JavaScript tool fatigue, right, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody wants to know about build tools because they're getting talked about, yet you're trying to teach somebody that's brand new how to build stuff without worrying about build tools and things like that. Right. It's super hard to problem to get around and you face it at every corner because even when you're trying to teach like array methods, for example, one student will ask you, what about load dash? What about underscore? When do I use Ramda? You know, and, uh, and you have to, you have to kind of tone it down and just be like, yeah, those can do those things, but let's look at the kind of basic version of it that javascript gives you and then and then if you like you can look at the other ones and they'll, they'll be easier to understand when you get there but you it starts from knowing the fundamentals and then you can explore the tools that you like um, and you see the same problem with html and css because then you know the sas discussion comes up uh or even javascript and you know a lot of students will say why aren't we learning es6 like the, the same the same kind of thing so at every corner you have that same question and the way i approach it is to just radically focus and remind people that those things are inevitable when you get to a real project for example you might be using lodash but the key to being able to use Lodash with confidence is actually understanding the array methods that you're given in ES5. And then, so if you worry about the right thing at the right time, then everything will work out. And that's kind of the, the way of thinking that I find makes students more able to process all the options they have and use things when they need them. And, and I find that that problem itself that you mentioned is, you know, the, the question of what to do and what to learn and what to use, being able to navigate that question is such an important, uh, or not getting distracted by that and caught up in rabbit holes is crucial to being able to make progress when you're learning. And so I think the way of, that I try to get around that is just by showing people that you don't have to do all the things. You can do the right thing and then evaluate the other things as needed. Um, one thing that I'm running into, because I'm, I'm building a course right now on basically how to find a better coding job, and one thing that I've run into with some of this instruction that I've been doing is that essentially I come across something that would be good for them to know, and then um, so as I start to explain that, then I realize that you know I kind of have this other thing that would be good for them to know. And it's like, okay, how do I distill this down to just the, you know, the basic concept so that I'm not overwhelming them with a bunch of information that they may not need right at the moment. But at the same time, I mean, it would, it would help them to know it. So how do you get a, a neat logical progression that way? Right. I think a really good example of this is HTML. So teaching HTML is really overwhelming along with CSS, because it seems like there's so much stuff you need to know. You need to know all these elements, and then all the DOM elements have, you know, crazy properties that sound really intimidating, and there's just way more than you could possibly remember. Um, and the same thing with CSS. And so I think that I just 
I really just do the same thing that, you know, the, the same way I talk about this and talk about the specific example we have in front of us. And then you'll look at the other cases later with HTML. I have a similar kind of discussion where I say, learn how to use a few elements first, and then you'll see how an element works. And all the other elements are just variations on this. So it might mm -hmm. be a little bit different. It might be, you know, you might have a list item that's a little bit different than an unordered list and so on. But the elements generally behave like this. So let's just look at this one thing and then it'll make everything just so much easier and we'll get there. And I think I think the the, the key thing to, to point out is like, I think, Chuck, if, if there's something that you want to explain to them uh, and you think it would be useful, you can mention it and say that, you know, at this time, like later, even though it's not directly related to the discussion point now, that would be a good time to look at it in the future or keep mm -hmm. in mind, but not get distracted from what we're trying, like what I'm trying to teach you right now. That makes sense. Yeah. So it, it could be just summarized by radical focus. And I think that, you know, in our discussion before recording, I kind of mentioned that it's a reflection of the kind of developer I am. I'm a really boring developer that's slow to adopt new tools and by you know i'm not sure if it's by the experience of experiences i've had or what but i tend to be able to focus maybe a lot easier than most people and and not pay attention to new stuff i think there's a time to do that like if i need it then i'll really carefully look at for example what if i'm starting a project today from scratch i would I would seriously consider all the frameworks, but you know, I think in my past I've tended to work on projects that already existed, and so I think that's maybe an outcome of the experiences I've had. But I find that has made it really easy for me to teach and focus too, because you know the truth is most developers are working on an app that exists already and doesn't use the latest stuff, uh, and maybe doesn't even use the best thing. But it would be more work to retool it or refactor it into using new stuff than it would be to just continue mm -hmm. building features customers want. And I think that's actually, that's actually the common case. And, but I think course creators tend to, it's almost like they live in a world where that opposite is true when it's not. And so I think I just kind of try to ground myself in reality and have my teaching reflect that. Well, I, I think, you know, cause you've mentioned, um, you know, in some cases it would be easier and, you know, more effective to, to, yeah, to go with the things that are already well understood and things like that and, you know, just stick with your stack. But, um, I find that there are kind of two segments of people out there in JavaScript land. And one of them, one of these groups are the people that you're catering to and they're the people who are just trying to get it right. And so... Mm -hmm. In that case, you don't need to have the the bleeding edge technology in your course because ultimately it's not going to matter. It's like, look, why don't we understand the basics and then we can start giving you some of the other stuff. And then um, there's the other group of people. Well, I guess there are three groups because there's another group that's just kind of out there and they want to have a job. And as long as they're current enough to get their next job, they're fine. And then there are the people out there that want to be on the leading edge of everything. And so they're out there and they're, um, they're watching the latest uh, Pluralsight courses and things like that because it's, oh, well, I need to understand this new uh, thing that's in the latest beta version of Angular or React. And 
and you know and and i'm not saying that any of those are wrong but at the same time you know it's it's interesting to just kind of look at this and say look here here are some basic things here are the tools you're going to use and off we go and then you know have somebody else out there you know catering to the other crowd that's like i'm i'm into javascript i'm really doing javascript and yeah you know how do i plug this new technology or this new browser technology into my application and make it awesome. Right. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that. None of the approaches is the right one, but I think when you're trying to learn the fundamentals and build competency as a programmer, mm -hmm. the, the new stuff is not important. Yeah. And, and when you do build that competence, you can di digest the new stuff really easily. But so the key is I find is always to build that competence first and then you can do whatever you want, right? Look at, so that's why the example with array methods, you know, focus on the native ones, then you can use Lodash, jQuery, Ram, or Lam, Ramda, whatever you want. But it's really hard to pick one of those before you know how to, how the, the plain thing that you already have works, right? It, it's almost too many jumps into the future and it's just not, it, it, I guess in that sense, it's actually the wrong thing to do. And I think that same thing happens with other technology tools too. So for example, like with um, tooling like Webpack and Grunt and I, I'm, I'm probably with Gulp and others, like the amount of change there is so fast. But I think to appreciate one, like to appreciate the latest one, you kind of have to see how bad the other one was, or the pro you can't, you, you have to appreciate mm -hmm. the pros and cons. And in that case, it's actually kind of helpful to use a more dated one. And then when you use the latest thing, you're like, wow, this is awesome. Right. Versus if you have no idea how it used to be, you actually have a very, very, uh, incomplete understanding of what the tool's actually doing for you. So I found that it, you know, just always, it always works out if you kind of choose the boring thing and then choose interesting things. So boring first and then variety. Uh, and then you can make, you know, of the variety, you can choose the most appropriate thing versus, you know, a lot of people, I, I a lot of developers want to admit to this, but they just choose a thing that's popular and they don't have a good understanding of what's, what the pros and cons are. Right. And so, if you want to be a developer that can make those decisions and appreciate the differences, you, you you need to look at the core of what the thing is doing. And that requires you to kind of go boring first, right, versus latest by default. So I asked this at the beginning, but I don't know if it got caught because of uh, the technical glitch. But I was curious what your take was on teaching new JavaScript developers ES5 versus ES6. I was curious if you think that ES6 makes JavaScript more approachable because of the sugar that it provides, or if you feel like ES5 is more approachable because the surface area is smaller? This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. 
After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you, and on Hired you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what, what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber, you can get double the hiring bonus that they offer. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber today. JavaScript more approachable because of the sugar that it provides, or if you feel like ES5 is more approachable because the surface area is smaller. Right. Yeah. So it's the same. <laughs> I think the philosophy, my philosophy is, I think, pretty simple. And you can, I think at this point, if you've been listening to the podcast, you could probably guess what my choice would be there. Um, but right now, what my choice is, and with, you know, ES5 or ES6 as a first, first uh, introduction is ES5. All right, and the reason out. is, <laughs> I know, super boring, right? But I think the reason is because to understand what ES6 is doing for you, you need to know ES5. And the other thing is, when you know ES5 well, you can learn ES6 really easily. So it ends up not mattering at the end. And I think the last thing is, what's really important for me, I think, is to, and especially when I started making the course a year ago, is that most of the code examples are in ES5. And so if you can't like read that code, you're at a big disadvantage. Whereas, so I see, so instead the alternative I saw is that teach ES5, you can read any ES5 code and then you can learn ES6 easily and you can digest all that code as well. And so that to me seemed like a better choice. But um, Corey, I think we also mentioned Right now, today, it seems like an unpopular choice because most courses I've seen tend to do the reverse. Yeah, I mean, I can well, see both ways because you get into the browser and if you just want to use the console as is, you have to use ES5. And so mm -hmm. depending on where you're at and what you're doing, I mean, I don't know. I, I also so see I your point, but ES6 is really nice. Yeah, I think yeah. it's tricky because you have to get into the specifics. I mean, I'll say, for instance, I mean, like I have a couple of React courses and my very introductory course, I deliberately use ES5 because I didn't want to overwhelm anybody that had no familiarity with the new features in ES6. But it was a, a bit of a step forward and a step back because at least in React, once you move to ES6, there's a lot of concepts that are just easier to convey. Um, so you end up truly doing less typing and it becomes, once you understand what you're looking at, it actually becomes easier to understand. So I think that, that was part of what intrigued me about this was an understanding that there are some things in ES5 that you're doing it the hard way, which makes some things feel uh, a bit less approachable. But I completely agree with you that uh, this is this is a regular maxim in life. That once you understand how to do it the hard way, it's pretty easy to understand the the new, the benefits of this new thing that somebody's showing you, and it's also enough to get you quite excited too to help you move farther down the road. But I'm a big believer in um, showing people the the error or the pain before you show them the solution. It's a lot easier to appreciate the solution when you've experienced the pain. Exactly, it's exactly what you said is kind of the thinking I had, and I think with React, like your choice to kind of do a mix, um, like like you said, you did ES5 for one, and then 
is it like some of the other stuff is ES6 for your React courses? Yeah, effectively my beginner one's ES5 and then the more intermediate I went for ES6. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I thought long and hard about that on, on both sides and I continue to because, you know, you look at real world, uh, <laughs> increasingly people are reaching for ES6, but you are totally right that there's a huge number of people that are still working in jQuery, putting uh, JavaScript right there into the head, um, not transpiling, not minifying, not bundling. Uh, that's that's continues to be reality for a large portion of JavaScript developers. I think partially because the, the tooling is very intimidating and partially because we're maintaining apps that still, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. People have right. inertia in these patterns. Um, so they're, and I think a lot of people just really don't realize all that they're missing. Um, I mean, I'll <laughs> say like here I am, um, and I see this often at, uh, shops. I travel at a lot of .NET shops and what I find is a lot of .NET developers don't have a big love for JavaScript because their connection to JavaScript is some of these older patterns that made it rather mm -hmm. painful. Um, but today in the last, when I say today in the last year or two, a lot of these things have made life so much better. So that's where I feel like there's a trade-off here. I mean, I like what you're doing that you start people off in a console and you give them a REPL, you give them really rapid feedback, a fail fast. Um, and then you look for the right logical moment to say, okay, here's a piece of complexity that's now justified given how far I've taken you down the road. Uh, but charting out those paths as a, as a course author, that's, that's the tricky part for sure. Right. That's absolutely, you kind of nailed it. That is the hardest part. It sounds like an easy thing to do and principle, teach the student exactly what they need when they need it. But it turns out to be really hard uh, because you could, you could easily go down a route where you teach a super complicated thing at the beginning rather than, you know, ideally at the end. So you need to do a lot of planning to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. The chronologic, uh, figuring out a logical order for introducing things is is tricky for sure. Um, I think especially in JavaScript where there's so many different ways to get these things done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like with React, for example, I think ES6 teaching that is a natural choice because I think the ducks are, if I'm, if, uh, if I'm not wrong, I think they're in ES6 too, right? So it seems like just... You know, when when the React docs are in ES6, it just kind of makes sense to go with whatever the community has chosen. Uh, you know, same thing with Angular 2 and or Angular 4 and TypeScript. Um, it's like you have to, you know, it would be really weird to teach an ES, ES5 Angular 2 course. That would be kind of a preposterous thing to do. Um, so, you know, with, with the specific communities, there are different decisions that just make sense. Whereas, um, you know, for vanilla JavaScript, I felt that this made the most sense. I agree. I think you probably made the right choice. I know it's a tough one, but yeah, I totally agree with your uh, reasoning on it. Mm -hmm. One other thing I just want to uh, kind of jump in on because I've been looking at the curriculum for your course. Um, it looks like you do office hours every week for a free course. I do. How yes. does that work? Yeah, so I every Monday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, I go on a hangout on air and students call in and it's the place for them to ask questions. So if they're blocked on anything in the course, my job there is to just unblock them. Um, so 
yeah, so it's really fun. It's where I meet most of my students. And um, it just makes it, I, I mean, I think the the motivation for doing that is when you, when you have an online course and you're doing it on your own, you might live in a place where there's no one that programs to. You mm-hmm. might not even have a programmer friend. And you and it's even more unlikely you have someone that can help you. Um, and so I think that is a big mental hurdle for a lot of people. They're scared to start because they're worried that if they have trouble, they're screwed. Um, and so office hours is just a way to help people out. So that's that that's not a worry. And when they do have a question, they can get answered, kind of hold me accountable and like I have to answer the question. Um, and it makes me a better teacher because then I can see what people are having trouble with and you know uh when you're one-on-one with the student explaining something you tend to use different approaches in real time like oh that didn't work okay i'll try this i'll try this and then that ends up coming back through your teaching so i feel like it's a win-win um it's just a lot of fun for me it's really cool it's really cool that you do that yeah, I think it's the thing that I, I wish that I had because I remember as a beginner, you know, just having a silly question and you Google it and you just pray it shows up on Stack Overflow. And then if it shows up, you pray that you can understand it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, there's just so many, so many times when you're just like hoping and worrying and kind of doubting yourself. And that makes it really hard. I find that Probably the hardest thing with students is you know, a lot of people ask me what's the hardest JavaScript topic to teach, and I don't have a interesting answer. It's probably the same thing every instructor has problems with, like this and closures and prototypal inheritance and stuff like that. But the thing, the problem I see is the biggest one is kind of mental health and mental states and kind of doubting yourself and looking at another person that's like six months ahead of you and worrying that you're not making as much progress as them and then worrying about like, oh, should I do this course or that course? And it's it's really a mental game more. Uh, I think that challenge is way bigger than can I learn the this keyword? Um, I find that holds most students back. So yeah, anything I can do to make that part easier, like office hours, is um, I'm really excited to, to try to do something there because it's like one of those those big problems that I think learners feel a lot, but course creators haven't um, done a great job of of uh, helping there. So, so, so one case from my my experience is when you're reading a book, and then with a book, you really feel like I feel like the most hopeless because there is just truly nobody there to help you. And then even worse is like you're trying to type in a code example into your console or or maybe you're like the author uses Mac and you have Windows and then it won't install correctly or something. Uh, and then even worse is like you don't know if it's your machine or a typo in the book because there's an outdated errata on another website that you have to go to. And I feel like that's a real struggle. It sounds ridiculous, but like people are living that life every day and if they could just ask someone for help that'd be great (laughs) so i'm curious to know then as people come in and they take this course or you know they go through whatever else is out there i mean there are i i can't even count the number of courses out there for people to learn javascript or they go through a boot camp and then they come out i mean where do people get stuck 
You know, I mean, the, I'm I'm assuming that you saw some of the roadblocks and you built this course to avoid some of those, but you know, so people finish your course or finish another course, where where do they get hung up next once they're sort of yeah. proficient? Well, I think one of the biggest things is that intermediate level where they've done they know the basics of JavaScript, but then they're having trouble like building a like a an app that pulls everything together, like maybe it uses React and some database or something. So that that I find is a is is a difficult one. But there are a lot of resources actually to help you with that, and there are a lot of open source examples of that. And so to me, or what I've seen as the biggest barrier is the ability to read code. Because if you can read code, then you can just look at someone that has built that app that you want or something similar, and then you could, you know, push through that that barrier. So I find that. Reading code is is the biggest barrier, and not just when you want to build your own app, but when you go work at a job, you're just you know inundated with this huge code base, in maybe ES5 and you're learning ES6, um, or it's like in Angular 2 when you learned React or something, and so again the thing that kind of holds you back is being able to read code and understand it uh, at a really granular granular level, at least the part that you need to work on. So a big focus at watching code is that ability to read and understand code. Whereas I think most, most beginners think to build first. Right. And I, mm -hmm. it's that same thing where it's like simulating reality. Like the reality is you're not going to go to get hired at your dream job and then build some app from scratch. Uh, that'd be nice if we could all do that. But the reality is you're going to go there and build on a messy code base. <laughs> that's hard to understand. and has no docs. Right. So even things like even things like reading docs and like if you can't read docs, then being able to read code is almost an impossibility because docs are usually a little bit easier to read than code. And so all these little things I focus on a lot, like how to read how to read documentation uh, or even like how to ask a question in a structured way where like the person that you're asking has the information they need that so they could actually answer it. Um, all these little minute skills are things that I, I tend to focus on. Uh, and those are like things that no one, like no one talks about, right? It's so all these little micro, micro skills. So, so I love that you said that. I, I think that's a really important piece of career advice. It's one thing I've found in interviews. When I ask somebody, uh, if you come on the job, how do you expect to learn and get up to speed? When somebody says, well, I'll just read your code. I go, oh, wow. I mean, that that to me is a really powerful answer because it tells me that somebody is able to bootstrap, that they can go out there, they can consume the information that's already there, and they don't need, um, they don't don't expect to, to need a lot of help early on to get started. That's that's a really positive way to show people that you're um, that you're self-sufficient. Right. Yeah. I think I think the principle that I think about a lot in my in my teaching and when I mentor younger developers is. The goal is not to teach, is not like when they ask a question, they usually have an immediate need to know this fact or know why the code is not working the way they expect it to. But, and so for me as a, you know, if you're, if you're a senior developer mentoring a junior developer, or if you're a teacher, I think the thing to really think about is the real problem if you're debugging the issue is that the student doesn't have the ability to, to bug the issue or they don't have the ability to figure it out, right? So what I try to do is 
I guess like, ignore the temptation to just tell them the answer because that's the easiest thing to do, but instead give them a way to think about how they could get the answer themselves. So, for example, a lot of a lot of students, uh, a common question is, "What is this in my code?" Right, and what I have is I have this cheat sheet of all the different cases that this can fall into. And so they know the different cases, but they're just having trouble identifying it. And so I might show them how to use the debugger so they can inspect this. And so then the next time they have that question, they could just use the debugger, figure it out, and then kind of see how it matches up with the cases in the cheat sheet. Right. So that's actually what I need to teach them. The specific example right here is absolutely irrelevant. But I think a lot of instructors, they focus on, well, this is obviously, you know, ABC, but for me, like, that's really not the point. It's how can my student figure it out the next time on their own, or at least get closer than they are right now. I guess the other thing that I wanted to ask was, you know, you mentioned that code reading is a critical skill. So that being the case, um, you know, it sounded pretty bleak if you couldn't do that. So if somebody is struggling with that, they're having trouble reading docs, ha having trouble reading uh, code, what should they be doing to build that muscle? Because um, I think we all struggled with that early on. I, I don't think it's, you know, I, I think you made the case fairly well that, yeah, if, if you're running into this, it's normal, but it's also a critical skill. So, yeah, how do you level up at that? Right, so I think you just have to practice. So in watching code, we have guided code readings uh, in the in the more advanced material, and so we go through this distinct process, which is like, well, first of all, you know why it's important. Most of your time will spent be spent reading, not writing. It's a must for open source and working at a company. It's the fastest way to learn and improve, and you learn how to probably the key skill is ignore large parts of a code base and get a piece by piece understanding. So. I kind of set the, because again, students are always like, why? Because they have this expectation that they're going to build all this stuff. And then they're kind of disappointed when they're reading. Um, so I you know, try to explain that. But then the process is actually really simple. So you know, before you start, get situated, get situated, read the docs if they exist, run the code so you have expectations of how it works and how it behaves. Think about how the code might be implemented. Uh, that's some kind of a more advanced thing, but... It's something that that you could at least start to think about, and then get it into you know an editor so you can modify it and play around with it, um, run it through the debugger and so on. Um, and then like the actual process is just going from a high level and then getting deeper and deeper. Is look at the file structure and get a sense for the vocabulary. Um, and then you know I think the the principle throughout this is. Again, it's the same thing that I kind of teach in practical JavaScript is just worry about the thing that you need to know because you can't read through the app all you know, once through because it's too big to understand. So keep a note of unfamiliar concepts that you'll need to research later and then just do a quick read through again without looking at all the concepts you wrote down that you don't know. And then it really goes down to it, like investigate one feature and see how it works. Ideally, the simplest feature. And then you kind of use that as an entry point into the rest of the code. And you know, you'll know, it will start to kind of uncover itself um, and then repeat over and over again, starting with the simplest parts and then, and then gradually getting more complex. So 
in real code, this tends to happen with like utility functions tend to be a really good entry point uh, to get into the code. And then you can see how the utility functions are used in other functions. Like, or I guess you could call them helper functions. Um, but that's just like one technique. And then I think people just through practice, you, uh, you have to practice this. There's like no other way. Um, but I find that when you do it with someone in a guided way, it, they do start to see this process and, and then start to repeat that on their own with code that you're not teaching them. Oh, and then I think the other important part is that, and I kind of have this as the next level of reading code, is after that, then only after you understand the, the one thing you want to know, only then can you start to make small changes bug fixes, add a new feature, and so on. So that's like the last thing. Whereas I think most students, especially beginners, think of that as the first thing. So I kind of reverse it and then give them a reality check. Hmm. Anything else that we should dig into here before we go to picks? Hmm. So I had one final question. You're starting people off at the very beginning. Once you've set that foundation for people at, at the end of your course, where do you direct them from there? Do you recommend certain frameworks for people? Yeah, so I think Watching Code is still a really young company, so there's still a lot of new content that's coming out. But let's say that, you know, theoretically that I made the last video, like what would I have students do next? the i take the independence thing very seriously so i imagine at that point that the students are better than me and i'm useless and that what they'll do is you know other tutorials are too basic for them too and so what they're going to be left with is the only thing that they know to progress further which is go find open source code and use that to level up and just really escape from tutorial land that's what i'd hope um, and i'm not there yet but um, that's kind of like the vision. And so like, if they want to go to React or Angular, I'm not going to prescribe them what they should do, but I'd imagine it would, you know, to have the understanding that that would be something that it's well within their capability to do very effectively and efficiently, just the same way I would. Good stuff. Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development. We have an online Slack channel, a roundtable discussion on Zoom, and all of the talks are given over Google Hangouts, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at rubyremoteconf.com. You know, to have the understanding that that would be something that it's well within their capability to do very effectively and efficiently, just the same way I would. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Joe, do you have some picks for us? You betcha. So last night, yesterday was my wife's birthday. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. And a friend of ours suggested that we go and do an escape room. I've never done one before. So I, we went and did an escape room. And I got to tell you, it was amazing. Uh, I've never done one before. It was super fun. The one that we have here in Utah was this particular one. We have a bunch, but this particular one was great. Um, so I'm going to pick escape rooms. 
I think they're awesome. And uh, so that's my pick. Cool. Corey, what are your picks? I'm going to do a pick from a uh, quote from a friend of mine that's uh, been on my mind lately. There was an article recently that was talking about, you know, software is slowly becoming plumbing because we're just keeping the lights on with, which is a rather oversimplified view of things. And she had an interesting quote uh, that resonated with me. Which, uh, Jessica Carrod said, software maintenance is not keep it working like before. It's keep being useful in a changing world. And I think that's really powerful because there's a recognition, all these maintenance programmers out here, that's part of why maintenance programming is so much fun is because the world is always changing and we're responding to that change. Even though we're working on existing systems, always new challenges ahead. So that's my pick for today. Very cool. Uh, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Uh, the first one is, is when this comes out, I'm probably going to be pretty close to heading out to Build, which is Microsoft's developer conference. Um, AJ and I will be interviewing a whole bunch of people and it should be a lot of fun um, we've gone to a couple of Microsoft events over the last year and yeah it's just been really interesting if you're going to be there then by all means um, you know, shoot me an email or tweet at me or something and let me know because um, I'd love to meet up with people and then um, I'm also going to be in Anaheim, California for podcast movement in August so if you're doing any of that let me know about that as well um, and then, um, yeah, one, one other thing is, is that I've decided to start doing YouTube videos. And so I'm just going to do YouTube videos and I'm just going to, uh, talk about JavaScript stuff. So if you're interested in that, you can head over to, uh, YouTube and just do a search for JS rants and, uh, you should be able to find my JS rants. Um, but yeah, um, I'm also going to sprinkle in some career stuff and other stuff. So, yeah, if if you're looking for some of that other stuff, it'll be in there too. Uh, Gordon, what are your picks? Sure. So uh, aside from watching code, I just have one pick because I want you to really check this out and make it easy for you. Um, so there's this essay that's influenced me more than any other writing, a book or blog post or anything. It's 10 Things I Have Learned by Milton Glaser. So if you just Google that, you'll, it'll be the top result. 10 Things I Have Learned by Milton Glaser. He's the designer that created the I Love New York logo. So that's my only pick. All right. And if people want to uh, check you out, follow up, you already mentioned practicaljavascript.net. Uh, other places that they can go? Yeah, so the, the main site for Watching Code is watchingcode.com, and you'll find Practical JavaScript there as well. Um, and then I guess on, on Twitter, I'm Gordon underscore Zhu. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming, Gordon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. Thanks, Gordon. Great stuff. Great thanks. Stuff. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.